Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Sound Consulting. G'day, Nina. How are you? Hi, Andrew. Good, thanks. How are you? Always that music creates a bit of anxiety, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I tell you what, we've had an interesting couple of weeks, haven't we? We've been away for two weeks, and so there's lots of case law to talk about today. Yeah, it's a busy, busy briefing today. But one of the things I'm noticing is some really significant litigation changes over the last litigation and also regulatory stances that have been taken over the last three months. The obvious ones are obviously in psychological injury, and we'll talk about that yep. in a case a bit later. But what we're seeing is an increased use of psychological injury in common law claims, massive increase in psychological injury in workers' compensation. Yep. And, of course, with the code in New South Wales and the new regs coming into Victoria and with the promise of the regulators stepping in behind the prosecute for psychological risk, it really is a time of change. And we'll, we've got a case on that which will show it. We've seen the regulator go after underpayments but also class actions and we're seeing massive underpayment claims being made against the major supermarkets. Yeah. And can I say that's happening everywhere? As, as a piece of work two years ago, we'd get dribs and drabs of that. This year, 15 to 20% of our work coming through the door because awards are so complex yeah. is award analysis and rectification around that. And the last one, which is which is good, may I say, <laughs> but... I think for many employers they don't understand is the sexual harassment claims that came through when you first started law five or six years ago were claims where you'd see a general damages claim of four or five thousand dollars for quite a serious sexual touching case. Yeah, times have changed. We saw one hundred and twenty thousand dollars come through as just general damages two or three weeks ago. Again, not for not for a sexual assault in the sense of a a physical. It was again a touching. It was a Inappropriate, inappropriate behaviour. behaviour was all that sort of stuff. One hundred twenty thousand general damages for say somebody on one hundred fifty thousand dollars and that person was not to work again. You could have a million dollar economic loss claim, major psychiatric damage, fifty two hundred thousand yeah. dollars worth of medical damages. You could end up with a two million dollar claim. Yeah. And we saw very very recently a case come through which made it clear. I don't care what the culture is. If you touch somebody, it's not on. Yeah. You will lose your claim and. In the past, there's always been this argument, well, look, if it's sort of part of the culture, yes, it creates the vicarious liability that makes the employer liable, but it... Like mitigated. It's it. sort of mitigated, yeah. whereas now unquestionably it aggravates it. Yeah. So I guess in the one or two minutes when we start out, <laughs> if there is a focus today and you'll see it coming through, there is a world of change coming through workplace which we're going to see emerge very quickly as a result of both high courts and regulators. Mm-hmm. And one of the places is around psychological injury, particularly as it relates to discriminatory behaviour. Right, well, let's just jump into it pretty quickly. The first case is New South Wales Trains. It's a case we talked about actually quite some time ago where a person was demoted and lost, or not demoted, lost 10% of their wage as a result of disciplinary action. Yeah. The Enterprise Agreement said, you could do that. Yeah. And the guy said, Mr James said, well, I'm bringing an unfair dismissal claim. At first instance, they said, look, the legislation said you're allowed to do this, so it's not a demotion under 381. Mm-hmm. It's not a significant change because it's permitted. We're going to let you go ahead with the unfair dismissal, but there's been no we, – we, we think jurisdictionally you've really got a problem Yeah, because there's been no termination. When it went to the, the full bench, which was 
really good place, really interesting set of arguments that came up. They said, yeah, look, forget about if the legislation wasn't there. The question, like the EA? Yeah, if the, yeah. Enterprise, sorry, the enterprise wasn't there and there's a regulation that also sits behind it wasn't there, then a demotion per se is not a significant change under the provisions within the Act. It's got to create significant change. And they said, but if I demote you through reduction in money or reduction in status, and it is a significant change, then that creates a termination of your employment through repudiation. Let's just stop and talk about what repudiation is. Repudiation means when an employer does something that is fundamentally breaks the compact between the employer and the employee, like yep. I employ you to do a job as a lawyer and next tomorrow I say I want you to be an accountant, Yeah. I've terminated your employment if Nina accepts it. Yeah, and so Nina has to accept it. at your initiative as the employer. That's right. Yeah. And remember, Nina has to accept that. If she doesn't accept it. Then it's not repudiation. Yeah, so not accepting repudiation is going, yeah, that's all fine by me. <laughs> okay, I'm happy. Yeah, I'll do another job. Yeah. So what comes out of this case is, and let's use the example I've just used with Nina. If Nina goes, look, I'm really unhappy with what you're doing, but I have no choice, she has said, what she did was reputatory. I don't have a choice, but I don't like it. There will be a technical dismissal, okay? Because I've accepted the repudiation. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But there must be a significant change. So if I say to Nina, look, I'm going to change your title from associate to pre-associate, <laughs> but, you, but, you get, <laughs> but you get the same wage, you have the same oh, reporting responsibility, yeah. the same everything, and I keep your wage where it is, it won't be something change. that's captured by that provision. It will not be an unfair dismissal. But where I change how you report, I change your future capacity to gain promotion. I do anything at all that impacts the role, then it will be reputatory. And as long as Nina says to me, I'm really unhappy about it, this is unfair, I don't want this, yeah. then you've got an unfair dismissal argument. And I think the distinction here is that they were able to file an unfair dismissal and continue working for the employer yeah. because it was a termination of that employment relationship of that first role and that essentially they start a new employment relationship for the new role. So really unique. It case. is a unique case. But I guess yeah. what I want to want to raise with you is most people see demotion as a disciplinary action that can be taken. Mm. I've always said to you, be really careful when you do that because if yeah. you change wages, responsibilities, reporting, then it is a significant change. What the full bench has made really clear, that is a significant change so long as the employee pushes back. Even if they accept the role, push it back. Wow, there you go. Because (laughs) they're off in Victoria, which is the uh, Victorian DPP effectively, have got such a terrible record of people like (laughs) the Grant Grant and DPP, which is a leading case on on adverse action. This is a, a woman who worked in the sexual assault area. Yeah. She observed and saw vicariously trauma. There was a policy that dealt with vicarious trauma. Yeah, which said it was an obvious risk risk. that everyone would be exposed to. They didn't screen based on the level of risk. Now, remember what the control process is under reasonably practicability. And remember, this is not a safety case, but it's still the test of what is good behaviour. You have to identify the hazard they had. They'd said it's a high risk in their policy. Yeah. And then they had no control. Nope. (laughs) <laughs> and the obvious control is to regularly check in on the person, to have a process that sets out whether the person would be offered rotations. What, what would you do around it? Yeah. They had none of it. And can you believe in the case when that was put to them by the high, or not the high court, it was the Supreme Court at first, they said, no, it's not our job to check in on them because it's to do with their private life, so we can't ask them about it. 
How ridiculous is that? <laughs> but misses the monitoring health, doesn't it? Yeah, which is, it's which is the section twenty two obligation yeah. under the safety legislation. Oh. But as I said, lawyers, lawyers and health are not good. Okay. Yeah. And the APP in Victoria has not been great with it. No. And this is another example where they just thought they had compliance with the law with some yeah. black letter responsibility yeah. rather than being a human being and saying, gee, if I put somebody in a position where they're repeatedly exposed to horrible things, it will hurt them. What should I do to prevent that? Yeah. How should I care for that person? And I guess for all of us, it's the thing that we regularly talk about is I don't want to hear about empathy. I want to hear about compassion. Yeah. If you've got something that works for you, be compassionate. If I give Nina repeatedly complex, difficult work, nothing that's horrible to look at, just difficult work, I know I'm putting pressure on it. So I have to check in to yeah. monitor health. Now, if I say to Nina, like we do in our safety things, where we often have coronial slides of people who've died, and things, we're incredibly careful. We lock them away. Mm. We talk about how you want to see them. We have a whole lot of risk around how we manage yeah. that, not the APP. And, yeah. And they lock, and I just say, and they lost. Yeah, Boy, they really lose. badly all the way into the high court. And it just comes back down to what we've been saying all year pretty much that if they just looked at the work design and were flexible with that, they wouldn't have had this problem. That's right. If they just said, look, this is what the work does, this is the type of risk it exposes, what are the obvious controls that come into place, yeah. let's implement them. Yeah. And this, all it needed was screening, regular checking through with the person and checking in on them. And then rotating her yeah. out when it was obvious that she was suffering from it. PTSD. So massive yeah. common law claim, very successful no great precedent, but just a reminder of what Nina and I said in the beginning, there is a, a willingness to prosecute psychological injury yeah. and there's a, a hunger in the courts to protect people. Yeah, okay? and just remember the higher the risk, like the more obvious the risk, the more you have to do because I think in the end they got almost a million dollars, I'd yeah. say, in total for everything. So, yeah. Okay, Sikos and Austin Hospital. So that's the, the next one, Victorian case. Victoria's not behaving well at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Employers in Victoria are missing the game, I think. This this is sort of dumb and dumber case. This is the sort of one that you just pull your hair out and oh. you can see I've been in this game too long, so <laughs> retire. Hopefully I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and I've turned up as a sea captain today just to show you <laughs> the old sea dog has arrived. This is a woman who had people reporting to her men and men at the same level who were being paid more than their classification level because they negotiated. They were paid 41000 more than her, <laughs> even people who worked <laughs> under her. So she raised the question, hmm. can I come and negotiate my salary? To which she got this terse, confected response, yeah. which basically said, no. Yeah. Didn't um, give her a reason why. No, yeah. no. Then... She obviously went off to VCAT, which is where um, discrimination claims based on age and gender go. Mm -hmm. Pretty, pretty ordinary oh, decision in the first instance. So bad. Really lost in the long grass decision. Yeah. Came to uh, Supreme Court Judge Richards, who saw through it immediately and said, look, you look over the life of her engagement. She'd asked seven times. Seven times. To discuss her pay. Yeah, and it's unquestionable based on the factual evidence that was there that she was treated less favourably. And that was the next question, which is this was not well run by her side, I've got to tell you. They brought up the ideas of unconscious bias, which is utterly irrelevant because when you discriminate, it doesn't matter yeah. what is your conscious level. It just, But it really confused the proceedings. They got an expert mm. who got lost in the long grass as well. It didn't go well as a, as a plaintiff case. But the key issue is 
was she treated less favourably, not as some comparator, yeah. which, it, which in other jurisdictions the comparator test lives. And in that's Victoria, what BCAT tried to apply. Yeah, yeah, whereas in Victoria under Section 8 it is just less favourably. Yeah. And she clearly was, on the face of it, treated less favourably. So a, a successful claim for this woman, but why don't you just look at the way people perform based on KPIs and remunerate them? Yeah, so, Andrew, what would you do in that situation if... Well, for, I guess use me as an example. <laughs> if I came to you and said, look, I want to talk about my pay. I think Matt's being paid more than me and I think it's on the basis of my sex. Like what would be the right way to address that? The right way to address it would say, well, come and talk to us. Mm-hmm. This is how we derive it. And, you know, we send out our remuneration and we measure it against an Australian known base and we have a, a competency-based standard which measures below average, average high excellent. And it has a number of competencies you have to hit along with the support program. We'd say, look, this is where you are. Yep. We catch up with you weekly and talk to you. Yeah. And this is what it looks like and that's the percentage you get based on that. Yeah, so about building an objective structure. Yeah. And that's that will give you a defence. Not only defence, it means you never have to come and ask yeah, me because, <laughs> because you know where it comes from and yeah. you know because of the level of engagement we have across the group yeah. who is performing and who's not. Yeah. And on our rule, which is take time to employ and quick to remove, <laughs> if, you if you don't succeed quickly, you don't stay very long. So the idea is objectivity and clarity around what good looks like. Yeah. And when that happens, this woman would never have had to go to them because she'd go, no, I get it. She would never have inquired of someone, what are you getting? But she could see the disparity in the way people were being treated. Particularly if she was a higher performing employee as well. Yeah. All right, our friends, the Australian Building Construction Commission won a case, and I think that in itself is remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing they've managed to defy gravity for a long time and nearly Uh, losing every case. They ran an interesting case, and the facts actually don't matter, but it was really about how do you determine what is a civil penalty? And it went before just this case went before Justice Snadden. It's about CFMU official, 70-year-old bloke who's now retired, Mm -hmm. and the union, and for those of you who don't know the CFMU, repeatedly have a colourful history <laughs> of deliberate contravention. Yeah, and we'll um, continue to do that. And Justice Snadden said, look, for the purpose of determining the civil penalty for their misconduct, I'm just going to award the highest because they just keep doing it. It's got to be a deterrent. Yeah. And for the individual, I'm going to do the same. The matter found it's weaved its way through to the High Court, as the ABCC invariably try and get. <laughs> and what the High Court said is the criminal methods of determining proportionality are not relevant to civil penalties because they're about deterrence. They're trying to say if you contravene and what you did is objectively bad, you will be punished accordingly. And if you've had a history of doing something bad, you're allowed to take that into consideration. Now, remember when I say you've got a history of doing bad, that's his past contravention history or what we call antecedents. So they said Judge Snadden was fine in giving the CFMU but really what this is is a reasonable test. They said, look, here's yeah, an old guy who hasn't contravened. He's retired. And you're giving him yeah, a it's his first death. contravention. Yeah, so 17 years old. Yeah, yeah, so they dropped it down to six grand. But yeah. I guess the point for all of us is this is a very discreet small case about civil penalties. Civil penalties are coming to you soon. They're already in the Corporations Act, competition law. They're spread throughout the commercial world, but they will start coming and we'll see them more alive in places like safety. We're already seeing them in places like workers' compensation. Mm-hmm. This is a really important concept for those people who regularly breach legislation, Mm. regularly contravene, you know, underpaid this, 
failed yeah. to do this. All those matters are relevant when it comes to penalty. Yeah. The other thing that's happening with civil penalties is they started off very small, but they're growing very large very quickly because they are designed around deterrence. Yeah, and what the High Court said is it's no longer the case that the maximum is only reserved for the most serious. If Even if it's not as serious, if given their history, they can still get it. So, yeah. so I think what we're going to see in the contravention cases, and so we'll see it certainly under company law, we'll see it under competition law, and we'll definitely see it now in the Fair Work yeah. Act where we've got our friends, the ABCC, trying to bring every case they possibly can, the last bit of auction before the election. We'll see yeah. a run of cases around contravention. Fair Work Act is uh, not Fair Work Act, Fair Work Ombudsman will jump on this as well. As well. Yeah. We're going to see more of this argument. This case is very specific at the moment of the Fair Work Act, but it will have general, and that's why it got through to the High Court, mm. it will have general application. So looking forward, if you're doing the wrong thing under a piece of legislation that has civil penalties, like the Fair Work Act, which is all the adverse actions are civil penalties. Underpayments as well. Underpayments. Yeah. Then expect judges, when they look at the way you behave, when they look at the way you treat it. So another thing would be when you were told by your HR person you're underpaying someone and you ignore it, yeah. you're going to get a maximum, okay, because yeah. it was a deliberate contravention and because of the specific deterrence, yeah. it'll say to you, it'll be an individual manager, stop pointing at you, <laughs> <laughs> to the individual manager who ignored that, they'll say, no, you must get the maximum penalty because you were told it was wrong and you chose to ignore it. The same as if you had many employees raising it with you and you ignored them all. Yeah. yeah. Let's just jump on to the next subject matter because we've gone way over time on oh, that, gosh. which gives <laughs> us just a couple of minutes to deal with specialist contractors. So we are going to race through this. We talked about the, the um, Canberra Hospital litigation that's been going where multiplex of Brooklyn multiplex have got a fine, where the specialist contractor got a fine, mm-hmm. where the individual Watts yep. got a suspended sentence. People misunderstand we use specialist contractors because we don't have a skill. Yeah. And the blind side of this is that people who use those contractors think they have no safety obligation, and they do. In fact, they have the total safety obligation until they can satisfy themselves that the specialist contractor is going to do everything that is reasonably practicable to provide a safe working environment and system. Mm. Now, remember, I don't know if I bring an electrician in to do work here. I don't know about electrical safety. But if I see a person climbing up a ladder which is unsupported, I know enough to know that that's unsafe. Yeah. So the general obligations stay there, but then you must have a system beneath you that these people present that you interrogate against. Yeah. Yeah. You have to make sure that you can prove that you know that they've already accounted for all the risks. And that they continue to do so. And I guess, Nina, the, the cases we deal with on regular safety prosecution basis are where people did have someone who was doing the right thing when they started but then stopped doing it and we didn't supervise and audit the process that Mm -hmm. was going on. And because the obligation for the principal is ongoing, the failure to audit as you go through and check Mm -hmm. on it, fatal. So what we've got is a slide we'll send out for you that Nina's prepared, which is... Karen's prepared. (laughs) um, Which Nina and Karen have prepared, which looks at the things you do and you don't as a host. We're not going to spend any time on that today because we've talked about that repeatedly. We yeah. are running a bit late today. But I want you to remember when you engage a specialist contractor, you are liable until you are satisfied. They are doing everything for you that is reasonably practicable to provide a safe working environment system yep. that you can step back. But then you must continue to audit and check. And that's an interrogative process. It's not, oh, thanks for this, can walk away. Yeah. And also, 
like you said before, the general obligations. If there's an obvious risk, as the principal contractor, you have to stop the work because it's unsafe. That's just no question. That's the minimum obligation you have on any work site. Pretty good. Right, today we've got a really complex problem. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> Partly because I was sitting on a plane and had some time to write it. So over to you. Stella was a senior manager at MAD Accounting, an international top five accounting advisory and governance professional services business. Her role in Australia was curiously subject to the MAD EA, an enterprise agreement MAD entered into as a differentiator from their competitors to focus on state and federal labour governments as they arise. It had been a great success. Stella was in the highest classification covered by the EA. The EA was silent on what disciplinary action MAD could take against an employee. MAD had a disciplinary policy that had a non-exclusive list of disciplinary actions MAD could take. Stella was aware that several other senior managers undertaking the same or less complicated work were paid higher hourly rates. They were all men. She raised the issue with her boss, Bing, in front of the other managers in her areas, all of whom were men and were paid more than her. It was the usual monthly senior managers meeting. She said, Bing, I've realised that several people who hold my role within MAD are paid above the EA classification. Is this something we get to negotiate? How does it work? Trevor, her pair in the same team as her, two years her junior, said, I think nearly all of us are, Stella. We just negotiate at salary time based on our KPIs. Stella's performance against KPIs was above everyone else in the group. Bing shut the conversation down, explaining these were private and confidential matters. He spoke to Stella after the meeting and explained she was sowing the seeds of dissent and it was totally inappropriate to do so. A week later, Stella was reviewing a piece of work from another senior manager, Cal. It was very poor. She corrected it and spoke to Cal, being very direct about the quality of his work. He said he had been out on the grog with his mates the day before and apologised. She went back to her desk, frustrated by the boys' culture in the place, and made a contemporaneous note of the conversation. An hour later, she was required to attend a meeting with Bing and the HR manager, Shiloh. Without any discussion, Bing angrily attacked Stella for attacking men within the group because she had not earned or deserved the pay. When Stella mentioned the poor work, Bing explained he was out with Cal and some other senior managers for drinks the night before. She was not invited and Cal was fine. Bing had reviewed her changes and although technically correct, they added little and were designed to humiliate Cal. She said Cal admitted he'd been drunk and offered to fetch her note. Bing ended by saying, I'm demoting you to manager in a team under Shirley and Tax as no one would work with you here. Stella was a single mum with a mortgage. She had no choice about what had happened. She had to work. She said to Bing, I'm deeply offended by what you have said and done. It is not true what you said happened with Cal. I have a strong working relationship with everyone in the team and don't deserve a demotion for correcting flawed work. But what can I do? I have no choice but to accept it. We'll just talk briefly about some of the issues that arose in that. The reason I talk about a contemporaneous note is a contemporaneous note has three particular qualities. One, it is evidence that the conversation occurred. It's an exception to the hearsay rule. So written evidence as yeah. well, yeah. Yeah, but it, it's an exception to the hearsay rule. It is evidence the truth of that yeah. conversation and, of course, it can be relied on to refresh memory. So to ignore a piece of relevant evidence and to not it's investigate crazy. what you're saying is extraordinary. Yeah. Okay? It's a bit of a, a red herring here, but I just want I put it in there to remind people how important contemporaneous notes actually are. The number one thing we always say to people, did you take notes of this? Yeah, yeah. So uh, please, he said, she says. Yes. Um, when it comes to difficult conversations, the fuller the better, not mm-hmm. just brief notes. All right. Could Stella bring an unfair dismissal claim, although she is still employed, which is the case we spoke about yeah. earlier, which is the New South Wales Trams case. And do you notice 
the demotion here was a significant change, okay? It demoted her. It took away her reporting obligations. Mm -hmm. It also took her away from her team yeah. and placed her in a position of less power. Yes. So under three... Lower title, lower responsibilities. Yeah, under three, 381 or whatever the section is. I've forgotten the section. I think that's right. It's a significant change. So it is a demotion, Yeah. okay? And under those circumstances, it's a termination... Well, it's a repudiation by her, no, no, by, by, the, the, by the employer. Yep. Yes, I'll get this right. Don't worry, <laughs> just keep talking. She definitely said she didn't want it. She didn't want it, so yep. she's accepted the repudiation, although she continues in another role. Yep. So, yes, she could bring a claim there. Wouldn't be the best claim to bring because the next one would be the best claim to bring, wouldn't it? Yes. So would a discrimination claim because there is absolutely no doubt there is an adverse action based on gender. And she could bring a discrimination claim at the same time as yeah. the other claims. Yeah. yeah. But the, the important thing is if you're going to bring a discrimination claim, you bring it under federal legislation if you're a plaintiff solicitor because there's a cost element to it. Yeah. And also the awards under the federal jurisdiction. Are much more higher. generous, yeah. She would get a poultice for this. Yeah. A general damages claim would be north of $100,000. She would be right in saying she could no longer work there and so the delay in finding new work and if that was damaged so she couldn't get the same level, she may end up having a three or $400,000 economic loss claim. So this is a claim around about half a million dollars for this sort of behaviour. Now, I'm not saying there's any workplace that's like the one that I've crafted, but there's certainly workplaces which are a little bit like yeah. it, and I'm, I guess that's the, the picture we're painting. And it's often not as, I guess, not as extreme as this, but even small things built over time are evidence of discrimination. Yeah. And you can still just get... And that's, 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 that's what Sikos and Nostan exactly. was all about. It's saying you look at the totality of the time, yeah. you don't look at just an incident. Mm -hmm. As Bing had a history of this type of treatment of women, if a civil penalty was sought under 351, which is adverse action discrimination provision, which just repeats all the anti-discrimination legislation under each state and territory, would it be reasonable for the court to award the maximum civil penalties against Mad and Bing? Now, the answer is, on the current state of the law, it's highly questionable because these weren't past contraventions. Yeah, that's the key difference, yeah. Yeah. If... Bing had already been prosecuted a couple of times or the organisation a couple of times, absolutely. But I think what the High Court's saying is this is an area that could open and there would be more cases on this. So if you if someone brings a case, and you always bring these cases using um, propensity evidence, so if it's an allegation against me for sexual harassment, the evidence, the affidavit evidence will say, look, Andrew's done this to Nina, but he's also, there's four women who've left, Yep. the reason they left out, and then we'll have all the women's evidence, and that'll actually be challenged in court and findings will be made about that, and that will show because the incident that occurred between Andrew and Nina was not observed by anyone else. But it corroborates it. It'll it. corroborate it, which will give it a force which allows you to get over the balance of probabilities test when you get there, okay? So that's propensity evidence. But I think what this High Court case is saying is a bit more. What I think mm. it's saying is, when you look at the history of way people are treated and misconduct, because it goes to specific deterrence, you'll look at specific behavioural traits in an organisation and people and go, no, 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 this might be your first contravention, but you've been doing this stuff for a long time. Yeah, it's okay. interesting. It definitely is possible, but would the difference there be that they'd need to have evidence of it? It couldn't just be... Oh, no, and in every, every sexual discrimination case, you run propensity yeah. evidence. okay. So it's always there and there's always findings made about it. My issue is the High Court has opened the door. Yeah. Okay? And I was chatting about this with Matt yesterday and he said, ah, yes, but this isn't a past contravention. And on this High Court case, it's not a past contravention. Mm -hmm. And if you looked at this case narrowly, 
He's 100% correct, but I think the door is open. And I think for all of us that means we need to be very careful and not accept cultural badness or mm-hmm. misconduct and go, he's just being a bit silly that day. Because as we said at the very beginning, the courts are looking particularly at sexual misconduct. Yeah. But and gender, and they're saying we don't accept this anymore at all. Yeah, it's going to aggravate the penalty. So if they look back down, look back down into the past and they go, but this is stuff you've done for a long time, it's something that Justice Snadden would have been happy at first instance in that case. He would have he would have picked this up and gone, I've got to stop you. Yeah. Because it's deterrence is the key issue. So that's it. Now can I just say for next week we're going to start tearing apart political agendas and we're going to start saying what's happening and what are the elections promising. And we look forward to chatting to you next week. See you later, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.